With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, this is Valerie Complex. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am having a splendid day. How about you? Hope you all are doing well and had a good turkey day last week. And now we're back to bringing you, you know, all the best interviews from your favorite celebrities and, you know, giving you the opportunity to learn more about them. And on today's episode, we have two people, actually. Um, It's actually not a duo. It's two interviews back to back from Elegance Bratton and Raul Castillo who uh elegance bratton is the director writer and producer of the inspection now the inspection was a movie that was very close to me uh this year because it it details uh it's a semi-autobiographical story of bratton's life and was his narrative fiction debut which premiered on the opening night of the Toronto International Film Festival in the Discovery section. It was the closing night film of the New York Film Festival. Now, the A24 film centers around Ellis French, played by Jeremy Pope, a young homeless gay man who joins the Marine Corps to win back his mother's love. And through the harsh discrimination he faces while at basic training, he finds community and finds respect for himself. Now, in addition to Jeremy Pope, the film stars Gabrielle Union, Bokeem Woodbine, and of course, Rafael Castillo. But a little bit more about Elegance Bratton. As a member of the LGBTQ community, his work captures stories untold with an intention to show the universal power of shared humanity. As a former member of the U.S. Air Force, uh, you know, his, his experience definitely mirrored mine as I was an also a gay military member during the don't ask don't tell period um, while I was in the service and the film touches on that and a lot of other things but what makes Bratton so particularly special and uniquely able to tell this story is the type of content he created before the film. Now, Bratton made his television debut as the executive producer of Viceland's My House. The series, which chronicles the underground competitive ballroom dancing scene, was nominated for an outstanding documentary at the 2019 GLAAD Media Awards. In 2021, his documentary, Peer Kids, explores the lives of black, homeless, queer, and transgender youth in New York City. Now, this film won the award for the Truer Than Fiction Independent Spirit Award, which is presented to an emerging director of non-fiction features who, you know, haven't received, you know, significant rev- recognition before then. 
Now, everything Elegance Bratton tends to do gets nominated for something. His work is that good. And in 2022, the inspection was nominated for several Film Independent Spirit Awards and several Gotham Independent Film Awards, including Best Supporting Actress for Gabrielle Union and Best Supporting Actor for the second guest on this podcast, Raul Castillo. Now, in the inspection, Castillo is Sergeant Rosales, a man who loves the Marine Corps and acts as a sort of mentor to uh, Ellis French's character. Now, the actor is best known for his portrayal of Pops in the critically acclaimed independent feature, We the Animals, which is based on Justin Torres' novel of the same name and directed by Jeremiah Zeiger. This also brought Castillo an Independent Spirit Award nomination. He also starred in the HBO series Looking, for which he earned the Lupe Award from the National Association of Latino Independent Producers. Upcoming projects for Castillo include Hulu's Miguel Wants to Fight and the FX Limited series Class of 09. And Bratton is currently in post-production on the upcoming feature documentary Hellfighters, which highlights the story of an African-American jazz pioneer and music mogul James Reese Europe, who was a lieutenant in the 369th Infantry Regiment known as the Harlem Hellfighters. You know, that's a story that everybody's been trying to get out and put their hands on so I'm glad someone's working on a documentary you know which is you know one of the many talents that Bratton is great at and I'm I'm excited for you guys to listen to this double whammy Raul and Elegance have a really interesting story and how they connected for this film and I'm excited for you all to hear about that and if you like what you hear be sure to review like and subscribe the scene to scene podcast on Apple and Spotify And with that said, let's get into it. Thank you, Elegance, for coming on to the Scene to Scene podcast. I I remember talking to you at 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 TIFF, and since the film is about to drop, and from from then from TIFF to now. What has the reception been like? What what has this sort of journey been like for you? Um, it's been really lit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's been great. I mean, I think um hmm, I well, I mean, first of all, there's like a couple of things at Toronto. This is my first fiction film. In Toronto, mm-hmm. I played the um the uh what is it called the section discovery section of yeah. toronto which is typically people making their first or second films mm. so the filmmakers in my section we were like still kind of like freaked out or was like we made our movie oh my god we did it this is great we're first time filmmakers high five you know and then um after that so that was really great because i didn't know how different it was going to be after toronto right. um and how I've pretty much every step since Toronto has been a process of leveling up into this much larger conversation where now it's like the person I'm high-fiving is Steven Spielberg. And I'm like, wait, wow. how did I get invited to it? <laughs> you know, not that I've met him yet, but you know, I'm being metaphorical. You know, I haven't met all of them yet, but I, I will meet each other at some point on this, on this journey. So mm-hmm. in that regard, it's been really like, it's been incredible. It's great. I love having, a possibility of the career that I'm having. I'm making all sorts of deals. I'm meeting all sorts of celebrities and inviting to all sorts of parties. It's like, I'm getting free clothes. 
awesome. Free food, free liquor. This is amazing. You know what I mean? And then when I get into like the conversation of the film and who the film is being spoken about in conversation with, that is just a process of having to grow into it because I've mean, like I'm sure for some of these filmmakers this is like this is normal this is for Darren Aronofsky he's a genius it's normal mm-hmm. for Darren Aronofsky for me this is very new mm-hmm. so I'm very much getting used to my surroundings so mm-hmm. getting my airing and my sea legs and my balance I feel like a like a foal mm-hmm. a newborn foal just like trying to stand up and run somewhere you know and you know I remember watching Peer Kids and um. I just, I remember growing up, like I'm born and raised in New York. And when I was doing community theater, we used to travel down to Christopher Street all the time and mm. go to the pier and see, you know, the Butch and Femme Queen stroll all the way down to the pier when the pier was <sighs> fucked up and it wasn't done yet. And right. bottles all over the place and the kids were just kind of voguing. And it was, it just, even that watching pier kids kind of brought back so many memories and for me, a lot of your content seems to always strike a, a chord with me. And I'm just wondering, what is what made you want to turn this sort of personal part of your life into something that everyone will see and witness? Well, um, inter- I, you know, I've been asked this question a few times, but never this way. Mm-hmm. Why did it have to be something that people see and witness? So I'll start there. You know, when you're homeless, black, and gay, I mean, if you're black and gay, period, in this society, you kind of exist in the liminal blind spot of a colorblind society, right? Mm-hmm. One that refuses to see race and wants to wish racism away while simultaneously not wanting to engage with the specificity of the queer experience, mm-hmm. right? So in all, all I have to say, you're invisible, right? Mm-hmm. And I went through a lot of hell to become who I am. And a lot of that happened, it, it, I felt so very alone and like no one would, no one can ever know all of what I've been through, but I wanted to have somebody witness some of it, right? So there's that, just the need to like bring, like in a way making the film makes it, con- it's like a journal entry to me in a way where it becomes real because it's been written and it's mm-hmm. been seen. And I can't ever be called a liar. I can't ever, someone can't say, oh no, you didn't have to do that. You just came out and now you're in the film business. No, 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 I had to walk a certain path to get here. And I wanted to honor that walk because I feel like that walk has forged me into who I am. So that's a kind of the unsaid part, you know. Um, on the other side, you know, this is, this movie, this, this movie is about a time in my life when I joined the Marine Corps and I felt, totally worthless. My mother kicked me out of the house for being gay. I spent 10 years homeless because of it. I thought the essence of who I am was responsible for the catastrophe that my life had turned into. Mm-hmm. And then I joined the Marines. And I was fortunate enough to have a drill instructor say to me, you know what? You're not worthless and your life is important because you have the responsibility to protect the person to your left and to your right. That was something for me to hold on to, to kind of lift myself up out of the condition I was in and start to imagine a world within which I was essential and within which I had trust and responsibility, you know? And I ran with it. And honestly, I ran with that notion from the Marine Corps all the way now to this conversation that we're having. 
And it was so positive in my life, the idea that we are all responsible for each other. We all are interconnected and we all have a responsibility to care. I thought that was something that the world could use right now. So that's why I made the film. I was going to ask this question, but rather the film sort of goes through the motions of why you sought out the Marine Corps specifically. Mm -hmm. Is is there a reason, like you, like why why not the Navy or the Army or the Air Force? What made well, you the Marine Corps? Well, the Marine Corps was the fastest one. To be perfectly honest with you, they they came. They you know the Navy was like two months, and the Air Force it's like a month. It was too much time for all of them. One, and then you know when I was twenty five, I was in a homeless shelter, and I called my mom up to see if I could come back. And she was like, well, are you still gay? And I'm like, well, yeah. She's like, but you can't live in my house gay. Why don't you join the military? And this wasn't the first time that she ever brought this idea up to me, but it came at a time where, you know, I, it, it, it was so true. It, it really pissed me off. And I ended up, we had a horrible argument. I refused to do it. Never, ever would do sign up for a country that wouldn't fight for me, fight for a country that wouldn't fight for me, go back to the shelter. And I look around to sleep that night. And it's like, most of these men in this shelter are black men. Most of them have been in the shelter system much longer than me. And I just had to ask myself, is this my future? The next morning I wake up and a Marine recruiter approaches me. And I just, the, the way he looked in his uniform, right? He, he was so confident. He had so much respect. He just walked into the room and everybody respects him. Yeah. So I said, he said to me, have you ever thought about being a Marine? And I was like, man, if I could look halfway as good in that uniform as you do, sign me up. And that's why I joined the Marine Corps. You know, I needed a 180. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a father growing up. Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily, you know, sure, it's an, it, rightfully so a sympathetic, empathetic story to hear about a, a teen that has to deal with homelessness, sure. But the part of that is you don't also get the home training that you need to make the right, right decisions right. that you need to make as an adult to actually move your life forward. Mm -hmm. And the Marine Corps offered that. I could tell that I could get that, that I would not be the same person when I was done. Mm -hmm. And when you hate yourself and you need to change, you know, it kind of it kind of all worked out. I will say it all sort of, you know, comes together in that in that moment. Um, and so from can you talk a little bit about the process sort of from cradle to grave? Like you have this idea, you have this script, and now it's about finding a producer, getting distribution and things of that nature. And so can you talk about how you connect? Because I spoke to Effie Brown um, and dropped the, the podcast episode with her on it. Um, I saw it. It was fire. And so I'm wondering how you connected like with her and then A24 and, you know, to TIFF. Okay, so then... First things first, making a movie, unless and maybe the, the next movie is proven to be a little bit more of a linear process for me. I'm kind of suspicious of it because I'm like, I've never made a movie where it's been this smooth, but mm -hmm. we'll see. I'm sure mm -hmm. something crazy will happen because it always does. But, um, but so what I'm saying is it's a, it's a circuitous mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. Um, so in 2017, I wrote the first draft of the script after I sold the TV show My House mm -hmm. uh, to Viceland. And I was, I was still in film school at this time. It was the third year at Tisch. Mm -hmm. And it just basically got to a point where I realized I had more money in my bank account than I have ever had before. 
I do not need to go get a job. I need to write a movie and pick something to get behind. And I wrote three movies in a month. Mm. Um, and I went to my life partner, my creative partner, my thusband. I call them a thusband because they're non-binary. Right. But, uh, um, nice. They, they um, told me that my best trait as a storyteller is to take the audience to a place they could never go without me. And once they said that, the inspection became the movie that I had to make. So I took that first draft. Um, and I first thing I did was I applied to the film, uh, uh, sorry, the, the NYU production lab while I was a student. And I got into that lab and I got great notes from like Casey Lemons, Tony Gilroy. Incidentally, I was taking office hours with Spike Lee as well. And I got great notes from Spike too. Um, and then I took all those notes and I wrote a draft and I called my boy who just got his job at 824. And I was like, yo, I got hot fire over here, man. This is about to change your life. Mm. I'm like, just read it so you can say yes. He read it and he was like, man, it's no, I, I can't make it. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> you know? And then, um, so yeah, I went back to the drawing board. But the thing is, he, had, he stuck around the whole time. Mm. Um, so went back to the drawing board, applied to a bunch of labs. All the labs that you can apply to, I applied to. None of them said yes. Um, he gave me some very meaningful no's, heartfelt no's, but no yeses. Um, I got to the point where I was, but I got sick of the labs because I was like, okay, well, I'm limiting my options by, you know, whatever committee decides who gets into what lab, there's probably not more than five of them. And there's thousands of people in the business, right? How do I meet these people? So I got invited to a premiere through uh, film school at Metrograph, which is, you know, in New York, the mm -hmm. independent uh, film uh, theater in New York. And once I got there, I met the publicist who did all the premieres and I got me yeah. and Chester got on the list for all the premieres. Mm -hmm. And then I would go to all the premieres of movies that seemed like they were re relevant to my movie. Mm -hmm. I would meet the producers and meet the, you know, and they talked to them. Down. Meanwhile, Chester is in the background developing the script with me, right? So we're just looking for that partner. And eventually I met uh, Eric Darboloff from Roseside Attractions Pictures and Howard Cohen, because they had Can I Be Me, the Whitney Houston mm -hmm. dot. And I pitched them the movie like, this is great why don't you come to the last LA Film Festival gala and maybe through Film Independent, you could meet some people who could help and maybe we could even make it. And I was like, okay, cool. We fly out, we meet Effie Brown in 2018. And Chester, I pitched Effie as well, but she does not remember anything I said to her that night, apparently. Um, so, <laughs> like, so Chester pitched her and she remembers Chester. Was and this the same event you met Raul at? No, this is a different, okay. I, I, I know how, I'm from New York. I know how to get, I've been going to the club since I was about 13 years old. So I know, I know how to get into most rooms I want to get into. Right. So, like, you know, it's very rare I get to nine. So I, I'll get to that. If you ask about it, I'll get to it later. But, um, but yeah, so, all right. So then we meet Effie. Chester pitches Effie. They take a picture together, a selfie together. Chester emails Effie. Effie doesn't write us back. It's cool. She's a busy lady. It's cool. I get it, you know? And then, um, so now at this point, I've applied to all the labs. I'm sick of all the labs. I told Chester, I don't want to go to labs. I just want to meet people in the business and just figure it out. Somebody will say yes. It's too good a story for someone not to say yes. Chester goes and applies to the Drive Back All Access Lab. We get in. Okay, I was wrong. Maybe we could get into a lab or two. We pitch it 60 times. They don't sell it, but the story shifts a little bit. The log line shifts. The, all of the things are kind of shifting. 
And then that causes a new draft. Chester applies to Film Independent Producing Lab, gets in. Now we've got notes from emerging producers and their mentors on the script. So the level of notes has now just stepped up, right? Um, which causes another draft of the script, which gives us the fast track. Mm-hmm. And then that, and then we pitched fast track. We did 60 meetings in two, three days and we got 12 offers. So two things happen at once at the fast track. One, Effie is now getting contact because Effie's Hollywood, LA based. Mind you, the first half of the story is all taking place in New York. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I mean, my film started playing in Los Angeles more and more and more. And that's what kind of gave me the confidence to just go to the business. So I was starting to meet the business and it wasn't such a invisible entity to me anymore. There were actual names at studios that I knew. Um, but all that to say is that once we went to Fast Track Film Independent, which is Los Angeles based, a lot of Effie's colleagues were contacting her about the film now. So then Effie calls us. Meanwhile, I call, I texted my contact at 824 a picture of Harry Potter on the train going to Hogwarts waving goodbye. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey man, I got offers. If you want to make this movie, y'all can make this movie with me. I still think it's a twenty four movie. If you don't, it's cool. I'm gonna make the movie now. Mm-hmm. And they jumped on. Effie jumped on. But I guess in a nutshell, I would say like the Chester and I. You know, Chester helped me develop this story. All those moves that I'm making about you know where to place myself. Chester is strategizing those moves as a producer, and did such a great job that help to get it ready so that Effie and A24 could say yes. And that's how we got, got it greenlit. I mean, there's some casting stuff in there too, but um, yeah, that's the story. Man, you, you've you been working on this for a while. And I think people look at films and they just don't think about how long the process can take and how mm-hmm. many drafts, you know, the inspection I'm sure was a different story back when you first wrote it to what we see now. Not a different story, but it has different elements than what you start yeah, with. Very much so. Very much so. And you know, hearing hearing this journey and just sort of hearing about how long you hustled is really, you know, it's really interesting. And I even me too, who writes about films, I often forget how long the process often takes. And another thing that I was really curious about in the casting of, of Jeremy Pope, mm. did you seek someone out who fit the exact sort of, you know, not not talking about like looks or anything, but some of the exact qualities that you embody, someone that might be queer, someone uh, that might, you know, know more about New York or, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, in terms of looks, you know, he had to be good looking, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no shade, but you know, it is what it is. Um, but no, nah, like it wasn't for me, it had to be Jeremy Pope from the very beginning. Um, because I mean, even before I had a first draft of the script, I knew who Jeremy Pope was. Mm. Because I mean he, he debuted on Broadway in a blaze of glory, like two Tony nominations and two different parts in the same year. Mm. Nobody has ever done that before. So and <laughs> Once I found out that that happened, I Googled him and he's an out black queer actor, even Mm. better, you know? Um, And for me, that element of who I am had to be present on screen. You know, as a black gay man growing up, we don't really get to be the heroes of movies very often. Most times we're kind of like the accessory to the hero, like the handbag to the pretty girl, you know, kind of thing. And we also live in a world within which it's like really hard to grow old as a black gay man. It's Mm -hmm. like, 
I, I can count on one hand the amount of elders that I like 60 plus year old black gay men that I know personally. Mm. Um, so, you know, I do believe that people go to the movies to see themselves. And I think that if you're not in the movies, that is an implicit statement about your value to the society at large. So, and growing up, like my identities as a black gay man is very much like a Frankensteinian, like assemblage of glimpses of who I see that as me, but it has to be that way. It has to be cobbled together. It has to be a little bit of RuPaul. It has to be a little bit of Beyonce choreography. It has to be a little bit of Carl Lagerfeld, <laughs> you know, because you don't have a whole place to go to see mm-hmm. yourself, you know? So Jeremy and I would talk often on set about what it had meant to us as teenagers to have had an Ellis French to admire and how that would have made our journeys growing up so much better. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that authenticity had to be there. I wanted an out black queer actor. You know, I wanted somebody who lives in their truth in the public eye with excellence and pride. Um, and that was that was really important to me. And when shaping shaping the environment of what the inspection would look like mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. basic training, mm-hmm. you know, I know Effie told me about you know, you guys shot on a police training thing that was mm-hmm. sort of modeled after Paris Island. And yes. um, you worked with, uh, I believe, a Marine. Tech- yeah, Octavia Jones, Octavia Jones. And I went to, um, the funny thing is, I, so, okay, yeah. So we shot on Miliota Police Academy in Pearl, mm-hmm. Mississippi, which is started by Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Tuggle, mm-hmm. who himself is a former Marine. He actually graduated boot camp in 1987 in Paris Island. Um, I graduated boot camp in 2005 in Paris Island. So the, his police academy and my script are both out of our emotional memories of mm-hmm. what it was to be at Paris Island. So there's this like real kind of alignment between the document and the location that's just special. It just it's just and then we didn't know any of this going into it. It just kind of all became clear as we met, and I was like, oh wow, this is actually perfect, you know. Um, so there's that but it's also an academy, right? So uh, Lieutenant Colonel um, Thomas Suggle, he gets, I don't think he gets enough credit for what he's doing for the Mississippi Police Force, but he's trying to make it modern for the times. You know, these police officers are learning racial sensitivity training. They're learning about escalation of force. They're learning how to, like Marines learn how to do their job. So we had our actors fold into them. They came to set two weeks early and they trained with the police academy. We had, I heard Jeremy joking on, on uh, Fallon the other night about how I had to get up at 3.30 in the morning to go to police academy training. And I did, I did do that. So like, you know, um, so that was a part of it. They had to kind of fold into that and learn how to receive orders and, and, and move in that as a unit in that way. But then, we, then I also had like an ace in my pocket and that my good girlfriend, Octavia Jones, She's a current Marine. She's currently a sergeant major in the Marine Corps, mm-hmm. one of the few women, few black women to have ever achieved wow. this status. Um, but when she came onto my set, she had just finished drill instructor. Now, funny story, Octavia and I served together as Marines in Hawaii years, oh, wow. 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I was a, a private and she was a sergeant. And for those who don't know, like, you know, the private is like the ground. <laughs> that the ranking ladder is standing on. Oh, private is, <laughs> e, is E1? E1, yeah, she was the E5. So she was okay. like five steps off the ground, right? So I didn't even know her first name when she got on my set. I didn't know her <laughs> I didn't know her first name, I did not. And I mispronounced it for like months. 
until one day she told me how to pronounce her name. I was like, why didn't you tell me this like three months ago? And she was like, well, you're the boss now. I, I can't just tell you that you're wrong. I'm like, you could have told me this. It's, it would have been fine. <laughs> right. but, um, but I told her like, you know, as a drill instructor, I want you to treat these actors like you would treat anybody off a bus anywhere. And it was funny because at a certain point, you know, she would yell, hey, recruit. And I'd be like rushing somewhere and I would just freeze up. Yeah, me. <laughs> And she'd be like, Elegance, I'm not talking to you, Elegance. I'm talking to the actors. I'm like, oh, right, 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 right. Sorry, ma'am. My bad. <laughs> you know, she didn't she didn't take no prisoners at all. <laughs> I'm laughing because I remember there was a moment in the film. There's a moment in the film um where um Bokeem Warbarn's character would yell, parade rest. And I and I've like jumped. Into yeah, yes, 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 yes. Oh my goodness. I'm like tearing up. This is so <laughs> I still, you know, and, and that actually leads into my next question is like, what are some of the things that you have chosen to hold on to from the Marine Corps? Ooh. Things that you learned, you know what I mean? When I think about my time in, in the Air Force, mm. I think about the people that I held on to and some of the, some of the principles, Yes, um, you know, because look, I, I can't, whether or not, you know, I have love for the military industrial complex is another matter, but right. I do know that I don't regret it. And I joined at a time where I was, I was 25 years old. I had no options. I was right. desperate. I'd had no career opportunities right. or anything. I needed right. job training right. to join. And I don't regret it. I was able to go to school and, and do a whole bunch of things that I would have never done, you know, if I had stayed home mm -hmm. and struggled. Yeah. Um, and so I think about the things that I have retained from there, not just like the job that I held, but some of the skills and things of that nature, you know, I have, mm. you know, my posture is better and yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. I can, I can now professionally switch my New York accent on and off because right. Right. to get rid of it when I was in the air force and, and, you know, um, following certain instructions and, you know, things of that nature. So I'm curious to, to hear. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, the people, like you mentioned, I, I have maintained great connections with my Marine Corps buddies, um, We've been friends now. Like some of the most long-term relationships I've ever had in my life are from my Marine Corps friends. And that that is, it's great. You know, we've been taught not to give up on each other, you know, and unfortunately a few of us have, are no longer here because, you know, to your earlier point, you know, there's a line in the movie where French talks about if he were to die on the street, it wouldn't matter. But if he dies in a uniform, he's a hero. And that is something that comes directly out of my life. You know, we're, we live in a world, we live in a country that has set many people up for economic failure and sets them up to be at that desperate position where even if they are pacifists and they wouldn't necessarily go for, to war or join the military industrial complex, they have no choice. You know, they have no choice. Am I going to stay here and potentially die or die there? And, you know, even not to deep, you know, demystify too much, but if I were to have died in that uniform, they would have written a $400,000 check to my mom. That's what I was going to say. Like, you, you know, the family's taken care of and, you know, you have a burial plot and the veterans, you know. You know what I'm saying? That are yeah. putting you in, in Potter's Field in New York. Right. 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 So, exactly. Exactly. So, like, you know, I think it's um, 
so when I bring that up, when I think about my friends who have now died, a couple of, many of them committed suicide, you know, veterans who committed suicide, you know, it, it, you're in a, what it shows me is that people's political ideologies are so entrenched and reactionary that they're not actually thinking about the individuals that have to live out in the world with with this. And I'm not talking about whether or not war is right or wrong. I'm talking about being at that point where you're compromised enough where you have to put your life on the line because it's already on the line. I, I, you know, like as a black gay kid, yeah. I, my name is Elegance. I was not invited, like every room I've ever walked into, everyone has assumed that I'm gay. Mm-hmm. And in a patriarchal world, that meant that when I was looking for career opportunities, when I was looking for, you know, friends at work who might help me become the manager so that I could have a livable wage to not have to resort to the things I had to resort to to survive, you know, they would not invite me because my name is Elegance and that means that I'm gay and this is not a space for a gay men, right? But when I joined the Marine Corps, granted I was under this don't ask, don't tell situation, but as long as I followed those rules, they couldn't deny me. They had to show me what they knew, you know? So I think it's important that if, at some point this country needs to understand that if you're pro-poor people, then you have to be on some level pro troop Right, because- You have to, because it, who's doing it, you know? Like the military is the biggest social safety net in this country. And it's like yeah. that for a reason. Yeah. It's like, you know, you can figure out, you know, which meals you get on a daily basis outside yes. of that, or you can be sure to get three meals a day and a roof right. over your head and a paycheck. Right. And you know, right. what I mean? so and fitness, I, right? And fitness. Like I, I, I grew up as a black gay kid getting my ass kicked by everybody all day long, three sixty-five days a year. Even my own community, you know, my own queer black community. I joined the Marine Corps. I learned how to fight. Now I'll try to kick my ass. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's, there's, <laughs> you know, you know, there's a break. You know, I got hit now. You know. <laughs> wow. I, I, one more thing is like the the one of the last scenes is super powerful where, mm. you know, Ellis's mom comes in and starts telling all the Marines, "Oh, my son is gay." This, that, and the other. And the TI gets up. He's like, "I only see Marines here." And that goes into what you just talked about, where it's like, your name doesn't matter. You are a Marine. And right. this, is where, this is where you're at. You belong with us now. Yes. Yes. So. Yeah. And that's why, that's why I'm proud of it. That's why I'm proud of my service. I, you know, I'm, I'm proud to be a Marine. I loved being a Marine. I had such a good, I was so fit. I was so strong. We were so cocky. We had each other's backs. You, you know, it was like Bad Girls Club, but like, yeah. <laughs> you know, what I mean? it was great. It was great. Yeah, I think about it now, and it's like, you know, back then, like they said, I was a slow runner because I ran like two miles in thirteen minutes. Right. And I was like, dang, man. And now I, think about it, I'm like, I really like to walk a quarter of a mile without pain. So right, right. Like, no, of course, so, of course, of course. That was but like the a good time made, in my life. The Marine Corps made me a leader. It helped me to become a leader. I'm not going to say that it gave me qualities that I did not already have, but it gave me a strategy to, with which to hone those qualities and how to focus those qualities behind meeting a mission. And yeah. granted, it was the military's mission for five years, but that kind of muscle memory of doing it, I was able to apply that focus and leadership to my path as a, as a director. And it also is the first place, 
can't believe I didn't say this. The camera, the first place I ever held a motion picture camera was in the Marine Corps. Wow. It, would ne it never, I, nobody ever said, here, make a movie, try it and see if you're good at it. Mm. Until I joined the Marines. Wow. Thank you so much for chatting with me and just Thank being candid about your experience. And I just, there's so much, you know, there's so many parallels, you know, between our lives and, and mm -hmm. film or whatever. It was really nice to be sort of transported back to a really important time in my life. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I hear, you know, I hear people talking, people who've seen the film and it's like, I wish they could understand the accuracy with which you executed the film. Cause I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, some of the language sounds fucked up but this is what they right. sound like i i, yeah. I had yeah. no problems with it because this is what you know being in we weren't co-ed we were just male and female but we had right. the eyes and they told they spoke to us pretty horribly so yeah i know. mean that's the thing it's like people it's like it, i hate to say it six and tones may break your bones words will not kill you they may hurt but they don't kill you and at a certain point you know Everybody's a performer. I, I think as the movie continues to live on, you'll start to realize that the drill instructors are playing a part and mm -hmm. the fruits ultimately play their part. And it's, you know, it's like the ballroom scene, you know what I'm saying? Like, or, or being in a, like the Crips and the Bloods. You know, mm -hmm. I always joke with people like being in boot camp is like prison, summer camp, and jail mixed together. Thank you. College, too. And college. Like, like, yeah. It's <laughs> funny. It is funny. At a certain point, the things that are problematic that you'd be like, oh, let's cancel them for saying it. When you know that they got your back, you know, it's kind of how black folks use the N-word in a way. Mm -hmm. like, you, you know, you... There's a culture. There's a culture. There's a culture that only like 1% of us get to understand because only 1% right. of the population tends to join the military. But That's right, because they have to. So that the other ones who don't have to join to be critical of it. Right. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm so proud of you and the success. Thank you. Um, and you putting on for the community. You know, I can't work to... I can't wait to see what other work that you've got out there coming up. And I hope to have you again back on the podcast. I can't wait to come back. That's the goal. That's a, that's a, I'm going to keep, I'm going to use that as my North Star. For the <laughs> that's the goal. Um, yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wishing you all the success that you do. Uh, same, likewise. Thank you. And congratulations. And thank you for your service as well. Thank you for your service as well. Take care. Thank you. Cheers. You too. Bye-bye. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Uh, thank you, Raul, for, for coming on the Scene to Scene podcast to chat with me. Uh, man, you have had a really interesting career trajectory. I was looking at your IMDb. I've seen a lot of your films, and you traverse a lot of different roles. Was that something that you always aimed for when you thought about becoming an actor? Um. Definitely. I mean, I always like changing it up. I don't like repeating myself. I like, um, I mean, you know, the greatest gift of acting, I think, is exploring like um, different aspects of the human condition that I find interesting. And uh, um, uh, so I, I definitely like to push and, and uh, find new territory 
as much as I can. Uh, but it's also but it's also a testament to the I think the 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 diverse body of directors who are attracted to my work, um, mm -hmm. you know, at, at the same time. And um, so, uh, you know, when you're starting out, I think you 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 want to just work and you want to get right. it where you can. Um, but I've been lucky that I, I've I've gotten to explore quite a bit, and I and that's 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 the part about acting that I've always enjoyed the most, uh, uh, seeing the world through other people's eyes. And we really got to like, you know, m my first sort of performance that I like was We Are the Animals, right? And it's such a, it's such a really great sort of independent film uh, that subverts, you know, all kinds of tropes. And can you, so can you speak to preventing yourself from being typecasted? Cause I know Hollywood is really good for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I, you know, moving from We Are the Animals to, to Army of the Dead and now the inspection and your other, you got some voice work coming up and stuff like that. Can you talk about specifically not preventing yourself from not being typecasted and how you play a role in keeping yourself on getting those varied roles? Absolutely. I mean, I think it, it all boils down to, um, I think not judging your characters. Uh, I think trying to find the humanity in every character that I play and try, and, and that starts by learning to love them, no matter how flawed they are, um, uh, and, and understanding why they do the things that they do, even when they're, even when they're doing complicated things. Um, uh, I think it, it stems from trying to understand uh, where they're coming from and, and, and finding empathy uh, for, for the different characters that I play um, and, and, uh, and trying to understand them. I bet, you know, and that no one, no one is the villain, the villain of their own story. You know, everyone, like, uh, uh, everyone sort of um, is trying to do the best they can with what they have. And, and uh, uh, thankfully I, I've, uh, I've managed to find some uh, some some wonderful characters and, and bring them to life. I I'm sorry, I made a mistake. It's we the animals. Not I don't even think like we are the the animals. I'm just bugging <laughs> out, and I'm just like it's been a long week. But we the animals. That's what I meant. Thank and, you. Uh, <laughs> I I appreciate it. Um, so I didn't mean to get that that title wrong. And so with the inspection, right? This <laughs> is like a new, you know, this is sort of like a new another new project that you're working on. And I spoke to Elegance and he and I have quite a bit in common. Like we're both gay mm. and we were both in the military around the same time, actually. Oh wow! But he was in the army and I was in the air force. He was in the and, Marines. I'm sorry, he was in the, right, right. He was in the Marine Corps and uh -huh. I was in the air force. Wow. And that was a really interesting sort of conversation to have. Uh, and it was a really interesting movie to sit down and watch. And it's interesting because I remember the audience reaction and people just kind of, and a few people were kind of confused because they couldn't relate to the military culture. But for me, it was like Tuesday, you know, I was just like, <laughs> I recognized everything that I saw. And I was like, this is really true to my experience. Um, even mm -hmm. though I was in a different branch. Um, how mm -hmm. were you approached uh, 
by elegance and every brown who's a producer or how did that script sort of slide across your desk yeah uh, well first of all thank you for your service um <laughs> thank you and uh and uh yeah i know i uh it's funny because i got, I got sent the script last year um i think it was about last may uh i read the script and absolutely fell in love with it with the with the story with the character um um, with the whole thing, and I, you know, I, I went back to the front, the, the cover page, and I, I read Elegance's name, and that's not a name you hear every day. Right, right. And, and it, I said, I know. Where do I know this name from? Where do I know? I know this name, and I went through my emails, and I, you know, searched, did a search in my emails, and nothing came up. I did a search in my, my texts, and these texts from. It's funny you mentioned We the Animals because we were at. Tribeca Film Festival with We the Animals uh, premiering in the at the New York premiere of the of the film, and I was at a party for for, for Tribeca and Elegance approached me and kind of cornered me and this was maybe 2018 I think mm -hmm. and he kind of cornered me and he was like you know I got the script I want you know I have this role for you and 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 uh, I you know I kind of uh, with a, with, a, with a bit of hesitation, gave him my number, and, and uh, he, you know, he texted me back in 2018. And at the time, I had said yes to too many things. I'd been kind of saying yes to things, and and then kind of regretting it because I'd I'd spread myself a little thin. Mm -hmm. um, and I was, you know, just coming into a phase where, you know, people were seeking me out in this new way, mm -hmm. and I was having to learn how to navigate that. And so, um, I think when when Elegance approached me, I I, I got a little nervous, and, and I sort of ignored his initial text and I you know so I felt a little sheepish uh because because when I when when my agent sent me the script it was to audition for it to like you know mm -hmm. it was um 2021 so everything was self-taped I haven't been in the room for an in-person audition uh since pre-covid really um and uh I I was asked to, to tape an audition and I and I I felt a little sheepish that I'd, I'd kind of uh now responded to Elegance's uh, initial text in uh, 2018. <laughs> right. So I said, you know, I, I'll put a tape together. I'll show that I'm very much interested. And hopefully he's still interested in me playing Rosales because I just love the character. It was such a phenomenal character, such a phenomenal story, and definitely the kind of story I, I would love to be a part of. So I put the tape together and then we sent it off. And I was just like crossing my fingers and hoping that, that he, because I just knew, I mean, A24 also is just, you know, uh, uh, a company that I've been, you know, yeah, wanting to work for a long time. dope stuff, so yes. Absolutely, you know, and then Effie being the legend that she is and, and you know, and Elegance being at this, you know, kind of, um, I, I kind of went and Googled him and found out, you know, everything I could about him and I was excited about him coming from the, the documentary uh, background, like, right. like Jeremiah Zagar, who directed We the Animals, who also was a documentarian. Like, I love the way documentarians bring, like, a fresh perspective to narrative filmmaking. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. So we sent out the tape and then like uh I got the offer a couple weeks later and, and uh, I was on Zoom with with Elegance and and, and uh <laughs> how was that? Yeah. What was that conversation like? I, I fessed up right away. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I like as soon as like we logged on to Zoom, I was like, dude, I saw you know, I found your text from a couple of years ago. I'm so sorry I ignored them. I love your script. I'm so excited to join you guys. And he and he was so, you know, he's if you met Elegance, so you know how warm and, and kind he is. And and um he was um he's just so you know, and you 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 feel this in the script, but it's not until you meet someone and, and uh that you really um get a sense of them, obviously. But but uh 
he's so smart. He's so like um, perceptive and, and uh, he's just really transparent and vulnerable and interested in like um, exploring the, the world in, in an honest way and not like, you know, and that's what like, I've never been in the military, but I, you know, I played, I played military characters before. And, and um, so I've studied, I've studied a bit uh, that world and, and, and uh, I, I was, you know, these characters were all really fascinating. And I thought he, he did a really great job of making a, a military film, but really finding the universality in it. And finding mm -hmm. the, the sort of humanity yeah. you know, in that there wasn't, you know, there, I, I can't think off the top of my head of too many military films that deal with what it means to be um, queer and homeless and desperate and, you know, using oh. the the military and the Marine Corps as a as a tool for growth. Because I mean, let's be honest, right? The the military is the biggest social safety net in the country for mm. a reason. Mm. So it attracts, it tends, and that's one of the things I learned by serving is that it attracts the desperate, the needy, um, yes. those who are looking to survive, yeah. you know, by giving them, you know, three square meals a day and a roof over their head and a job. That's right. Um, and when you were sort of going through the motions, figuring out your character, um, and really getting into the military spirit and I, cause I spoke to Effie and <laughs> she told me that y'all were really in the trenches, like no, no pun intended, like y'all were <laughs> like out there. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that process was like and how elegance and Effie sort of helped form everyone's character do these sort of group act, these group military activities? Absolutely, yeah, we shot in a police uh, training facility in Mineola, Mississippi, right outside of Jackson in August of 2021. It was brutally hot. I'm from Texas, so I know that heat <laughs> quite well. Uh, and and, uh, and this this police training facility was modeled after Paris Island, uh, the, 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 the the man who uh, who who designed and built it uh, and opened the, the, the facility was a former marine, um, so he kind of he designed it with his memory of of what Paris Island looked like and and um, so it was the the perfect uh, playground so to speak for us and um, and yeah we got there a couple of weeks early um, we had this wonderful. Uh, uh, currently active uh, duty uh, mil uh, Marine drill instructor uh, by the name of Octavia Jones, who served alongside Elegance uh, many moons ago. And Octavia came in and whipped uh, Bokeem Woodbine and Nick Logan, uh, who played uh, Laws and Brooks, the other uh, drill instructors, and myself just came in and just got us into the physicality of it, the, the, the vocal cadence, and, uh, and just gave us some... Um, the kind of license to 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 really get, go after these young guys, and I was like, if I'm being honest, it was fun to like torment these young actors, like you know, just to just to berate them and like to, to like you know, I'm I'm um I've never been much of a bully, but but I, I do feel like um I I I, I enjoy it was it was it was it, it was it was really neat. It, it's really it's incredible when the the, um, the 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 process mirrors the the form, or the process mm -hmm. mirrors the the story you're trying to tell. So you have Bokeem and Nick and myself who are 
a little bit more veteran than some of these younger guys and in just as actors but then you know that's sort of what we bring to the characters and, and it was fun to just whip these guys or you know attempt to whip these guys into shape that was and, and elegance really set it up so that we there was a hierarchy from the from the minute we landed like he was like i don't want you guys fraternizing with the young actors so we really kind of we stuck to you know we we stuck to each other, the drill instructors and, and the recruits stuck to you know their their, their group and and we didn't fraternize a lot, especially at the beginning of the, of the shooting um, process. Um, and that it was it was just it, it was great to like uh, to have the, that mirror. And also we were like, you know, we were in Jackson. There's not a lot to do. We were in right. the, <laughs> the Homewood Suites. Not to compare the Homewood Suites to Barracks, but you know, like. It, 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 uh, Let's talk um, about it. That's real. <laughs> That's super real. I got totally. family from the south, and you know? nothing is going on. Totally. The nicest place there is the uh, Holiday Inn. So, That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so it was cool to be like just like all of us sequestered, um, you know, uh, together, and, and and it felt it really felt like we were this unit in, in a really in, in a way that I think served the story. So that that was awesome. And it, I, this is really like fascinating to hear that he sort of, you know, created this sort of pseudo military environment. Um, and that could be why I was so triggered by some of the stuff that was happening. <laughs> I was like, I was just getting like flashback after flashback, like, no, no, no. And I don't regret my time in the military at all. Mm. Um, but, you know, seeing it depicted so vividly was just like oh my god like <laughs> and so your character rosales is is a source of inspiration for for ellis and a, a source of lust or whatever and mm -hmm. i'm wondering mm -hmm. what you saw when you read this script and you saw that was that like a surprise or whatever because it also caught me off guard too but i know that those type of things happen that stuff is real whether you're male or female or queer Absolutely. or whatever yeah um and is this something that elegance, like I'm assuming that this is something that is true, something that happens. So what did he relate to you as a message of the person that you're sort of referencing from his life? Yeah, I mean, I think he was a composite of a couple of different people that elegance came across while he was serving. Um, uh, and, you know, there, there was the Rosales on the page then there was the Rosales that Elegance and I kind of calibrated together on set. Um, and then there's ultimately the performance that he and uh, Oriana, our, our editor, uh, you know, crafted in, 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 in the editing room. Um, and I, I really, I love characters that live in the gray that aren't black or white, that are, that are you know, that are not one thing or the other, they're, you know, they're, they sort of live in the middle, they live in this gray zone of, of you can't really quite pinpoint uh, who or what they are, and, and and Rosales always felt like um, he, he that the character sort of uh, that lived in that in that space, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's why Ellis, uh, played by Jeremy Pope, is is you know uh, so confused by him, and and at times reads into his compassion uh, as um, as he reads into it as being some you know like romantic intentions or you know. Um, uh, but ultimately, like, I, I, well, it, the thing that I found really beautiful in that storyline is that, you know, all this, all these relationships with men, uh, and elegance uh, speaks to this quite a bit uh, when we're talking about uh, the, the character of Alice, like that, um, 
most of his interactions with men had been transactional. Mm-hmm. And that with Rosales, it, it's not that. Rosales offers like this, a sense of guidance and that, that he's just not, he, he, he thinks he, he owes him something, or, you know, and that there's like, the, there's, there's those wonderful scenes where, you know, he's confused by Rosales' intentions. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I, it was so fun to temper that on set and to really like, cause you know, there's, it's one thing to, to read a storyline on, on the page, but it's another thing for two actors to be in the room together. And Jeremy, right. Jeremy's so, he's, you know, he's such a wonderful actor. He's like, so giving and, and he's so present. He also comes from theater, as do I. Um, I felt like there was a real easy kinship between the two of us. That, so all I had to do was like, just, you know, I, I think when a script is really well written, you don't have to do too much as an actor. You just have to stay out of the way. And right. Let, let the, <laughs> right. You know, let, let the words do the work. And, and um, if, if, you, if, you have, if you have a good scene partner, as I did, then, then the, you know, the script will really come alive as long as you're just present and you're, you're listening and responding and and doing the work um and yeah jeremy made it so easy and then certainly having elegance there to kind of temper it um and, and calibrate it on set was was a lot of fun it felt very collaborative and that's when i think the best uh filmmaking is is is, is done when when you have that kind of collaborative art uh, uh process and i found the characters of laws and rosales really kind of reflective of because when you're in the military you usually you know you, you have your your you're staying in your your dormitory and you usually have two you know TIs or training instructors who are kind of working together and those two characters are really very much balanced there is mm. Laws who is an extreme asshole and mm-hmm. Rosales who's kind of like the voice of reason Mm-hmm. But I think what I found most powerful was toward the end, um, spoiler alert, <laughs> what I found was most most powerful toward the end was when his mom, Inez, Ellis's mom, Inez, comes to graduation and, you know, they're sitting down for dinner and she's like, oh, you know, he's whatever. And Laws is like, I don't know. I see Marines. I don't see yes. anything else. Even yeah. though Laws put him through all of this nonsense, <laughs> you know, the power of sort of endurance and resilience was kind of mm-hmm. like, oh, well, you know, he's yeah. a Marine now. I don't know what yeah. else to yeah. say. And I thought that was really surprising and sort of just really, really powerful. So I just wanted to gush on that moment because I really- Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And, 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 and I think- one of the things that I love about Elegance as, as a storyteller is that he, you can feel that he has real genuine compassion for all of his characters. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Bokeem Woodburn is so wonderful in that scene um, uh, at the end uh, that you're talking about uh, and kind of uh, uh, how that character surprises you. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you, like you, like you, you know, to your point, like uh, um, he, he's sort of in, French's uh, corner in, in that moment, and uh, so you, I love that all his characters are, are, are have you know m- multiple layers to them that they c- continue to to defy expectations, and, I, and I, I, that's the kind of story that I like, uh, where where character, characters are complex and they make you, you know, they make you think, uh, uh, and it's not just like you hate them or you love them. It's like it's, it's, they they make they 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 challenge the audience. And you yeah. said something really great earlier about, um, you know, your character being in the gray. Mm. And 
I think that lends to the sort of unpredictability of all the characters, like you just mentioned. <clears throat> every character sort of has a secret, and every everything you know, every testament to every character is sort of you know revealed throughout the film, and really at the end you see yeah. you know, where everyone stands. Even you know Ellis's bullies are like you know, all right, mom, you gotta go, or whatever. You know, yeah, all yeah. Of Marines here, and I think. It's more than like, you know, the film, and I don't know if you agree, but the film is more than just like a story about a gay man entering the military. There's right. something about camaraderie and community that you do form when you are in the military. I still, I've been, I was in for seven years and I've been out for seven years and I still mm. am friends with so many people from the service and it becomes like a, a a family. So I'm right. wondering if you could speak to that sort of community family aspect. I know you touched on it earlier with the training, but, and you being separated from the bunch, but I wonder if that changed by the end and if there was like a sense of community with everyone. At yeah, that it, it was interesting because I, I wasn't uh, able to go to TIFF uh, for the premiere in Toronto uh, right. of the film. I was doing a play off Broadway uh, here in New York, uh, American Television's New York Theater Workshop. And, but we had a New York premiere um, at New York Film Festival, we closed out uh, the 60th uh, New York Film Festival, and I was I I got to go to do press and to the do the red carpet and and do the Q and A afterwards, um, and I got to see everyone, all the all the all you know the, the most most of the team. Uh, Bokeem yeah. is out of the country right now, so he can be there with us, but um, mostly everyone was there, and and um, it, it was it was it was um, it was so nice to all come, but you know, because when you're, like you were saying earlier, when you're in the trenches, uh, it, it it it's it it's intense. You know, uh, filmmaking is always like uh, a bit like not to be crass, but it looks a bit like warfare, and that there's it's chaotic. Mm -hmm. It's always like you know, you're trying to you're trying to make your days. You're trying to like uh, sometimes you know. Uh, uh, you're trying to be conscious of time. Yeah, yeah. Weather, the, the you know the elements, everything right. like playing into it. Like so, you know. And then we had COVID uh, to contend with. Also, we got shut down at one point. We had to go back, and and so it could be a bit chaotic. And so it's hard sometimes to appreciate uh, to take the take a moment to kind of appreciate and you know the thing. But that's what was so lovely about all of us coming together for New York Film Festival was just the love I think that we all share for one another and having gone through this. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah, this thing together. And it does create like a sense of camaraderie uh, for making the, the, when it when it when it works, it, it definitely becomes a family. Um, I was with the first time they screened the film for me, I really enjoyed watching the scenes with the scenes that I'm not in where you know, the, all the young recruits are like those quiet moments when they're, you know, in, in uh, in the in the dormitory in the barracks like and they're all having these like there's these funny moments so these kind of very human like just like in, in between all the training and I, I I was really jealous of those scenes I thought that, I loved those scenes so much and like mm -hmm. uh, um, I, I, I I was so excited for the, those guys and uh, it was great to, it was great to watch them and uh, all those other things that I and then to watch you know Jeremy and, and, and Gabby Union's uh, scenes together and uh, particularly in the beginning and the end, because um, I thought they they just did such great stuff. So it definitely became like a real family, and and like, 
and the reunion and, and you could really feel that in the reunion a couple of weeks back when we got when we got together absolutely and what is 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 what i find sort of interesting and i've talked to elegance about this and i'm going to ask you the same thing when mm-hmm. you're and when you are involved and enraptured in a story about someone else's life not someone not just someone else's life but someone who is there watching their life on display and you are becoming a part of that legacy mm-hmm. did you feel a certain pressure uh to not only perform but also to protect yourself from protect yourself from some of the i don't know i don't know the right word for it um protect yourself in a in a sort of environment that may become hostile not just for the people creating it but those adjacent to it i don't know if i'm making sense but I asked elegance because it's his story and it's so personal to him mm-hmm. and so painful. How did he go about protecting himself on set and how did he go about protecting others? So yeah. since you're uh-huh. one of the others, I wanted to know how you went about, yeah, um, yeah. you know, doing that for yourself. Absolutely. I mean, there was, because it was elegant, because it is elegance, the story, I think there was a sense of, and Jeremy has spoken about this. Um, we all felt a sense of, protecting mm-hmm. um, elegance, protecting the story. Um, uh, elegance, one of the greatest gifts that we had um, as, as an ensemble was he was so naked and raw in his vulnerability that he carried on set with him at all times. Um, and when I'm the kind of actor that like, I want to lead with my heart. I want to be open-hearted, but you know, we, we're in a brutal industry and at times it can be quite difficult because there's so many egos and there's so many personalities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you start to get protective of your own, uh, you know, of yourself and your artistry and, 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 um, and your heart. Uh, but that's not how the best work is, is made. The best work is made when you can lead with an open heart. Um, and, and because, because elegance really did come to the table with this absolute vulnerability that just allowed me uh to reciprocate that uh that sense of 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 vulnerability and and i felt protected at all times like we created uh you know with effie with chester um uh elegance's partner and producing partner they it was just a very safe environment um and and i i do feel that you know Filmmaking, storytelling is a collaborative art. Um, and the best work gets done when everyone kind of checks their ego at the door and everyone works toward a common goal. Uh, the common goal being the story that we're telling. And because we were all so protective of, of Elegance's story, I felt like we were all working toward that common goal. And there wasn't like, there was no ego. There was no like, you know, and, and uh, thankfully on, on this set and everyone really, we, we felt protective of, of the story. And I think that's when that's, that's the, that's the kind of, I hope to always work in that kind of environment on my whole career. Yeah. And uh, so thank you for that. I know that was a sort of personal question, but um, I, so you're working on a couple of other projects. I'm looking here and man, you got some, you got some really good stuff going on. Um, you're, <laughs> you're, you're doing um, some voiceover work. Uh, you're doing uh, 
action. Like, can you talk about some of your your upcoming projects? Coming up? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I I, um, I have a film called Cassandro uh, uh, by a doc director named Roger Ross Williams. Uh, Roger's also a documentarian. He actually he Roger gave uh, coincidentally elegance uh, an award the other night at New Fest here in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, Roger's uh, made a documentary for New York Magazine, I believe, or is it New Yorker? I'm forgetting now. I need to get my story straight. But uh, <laughs> uh, about a, a luchador, a wrestler in El Paso Juarez uh, a border, in the El Paso Juarez border in Texas, um, in northern Mexico. Uh, uh, a guy named Saul Armendariz, who wrestles under the, the, the moniker uh, Cassandro. Mm -hmm. uh, he's also referred to as the Liberace of Lucha. <laughs> he's, he's like the first out queer luchador who actually wins. Like mm -hmm. histor historically queer characters have been like the sort of the, 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 the butt of the joke in, in Lucha, in Lucha Libre. Mm -hmm. But uh, Saul uh, wanted to change that. And he's got a really interesting story. And so uh, Roger made a short documentary and then he took that and wrote a script that I was fortunate enough to workshop at the Sundance Lab in I think 2018. And um, we shot it last summer in Mexico City. Gael Garcia Bernal is playing uh, Saul. Mm -hmm. um, and I have a wonderful character in it. I don't want to divulge too much about it, but it's a, it's an awesome cast. Um, shot largely in Mexico City. That was a lot of fun. And I'm really excited about, about that one. Um, I also got to shoot um, a film earlier this summer uh, up in Syracuse, New York, called Miguel Wants to Fight uh, mm -hmm. by, by a director named Oz Rodriguez. Uh, Oz is uh, a uh, Saturday Night, Night Live director. Mm -hmm. um, he made a movie called Vampires versus the Bronx. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, have you, have you heard of that one? I'm from the Bronx, so of course oh, you awesome. come through and watch it. Awesome, yes, it's so good. It's so, it's fun, it's fun, it's a fun, uh, kind of teen comedy about you know these these young kids like fighting vampires in the Bronx. It's, and uh, Miguel Wants to Fight is written by Shay Serrano and Jason Concepcion, the two wonderful writers from from Texas actually. Um, and it's a it's a it's a really funny wacky teen comedy uh, with like a real heart that has real heart to it. It's got a it, it it's a real interesting commentary on masculinity and machismo and how we pressure young boys to want to be tough mm -hmm. so it, it, you know so it's like it's it's a funny funny comedy but it's got it's got something to say about the world and and uh kind of like the inspection i love i love stories that that are that flip the script in terms of like stories about masculinity you know and 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 uh, miguel wants to fight is one of those stories i also worked on a movie called that one so miguel wants to fight for hulu uh cassandra's for amazon and then i did a movie this summer for Thunder Road called uh, Breathe with uh, Jennifer Hudson, Provenjane Wallace from Beasts of the Southern Wild, uh, Mila Jovovich and Sam Worthington. And uh, that one's a really, I'm excited about that one. That's stacked, like yeah, Jennifer totally. Hudson, Oscar winner, Corazine yep. Falls. Uh, yep, yep. A, uh, a Oscar nominee. Yep, yep. Mila Jovovich, one of the biggest action stars in Hollywood. Like, totally. wow. Yeah. You really, you really doing a damn thing and you have like TV credits too. Like you're all over the map. You should really be proud of the career that you've cultivated. Thank you. Thank um, you so much. Um, definitely great conversation talking with you. Uh, Likewise. I really wish you all the best in this 
you know, sometimes monstrous, sometimes exciting profession of acting in Hollywood. Uh, Thank you so much, Riley. I really appreciate that. And look, being a person of color, I know it's not easy in the business, but you know, you, you are, you're definitely carving your own path. So thank you again for Raul, for being uh, a guest on the scene to scene podcast. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it so much, Riley. Thank you for having me.